Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, you're listening to God's Whole Story. This is Mandy, and I'm joined by my friend Lindsay today, and we are here. Oh, hey, sorry. (laughs) And we are here today talking, we're in 2 Samuel, um, still talking about David. Um, Oh, man. You know what? This is getting a little disheartening. So (laughs) I'm just going to throw it to you, Lindsay, and can you help us understand? Okay, because like we're talking through like... David's loyalty to his son who has betrayed him over and over again. And the people are upset. They're like, you know, they kill Absalom, which David like said, please don't. Well, they do because that actually saved the whole kingdom. And then David goes into this mourning and they were like, hey, it seems like you love the people who hate you, but you hate the people who love you. We are doing all this work and there's no loyalty. And in the midst of all of this, David's writing these Psalms that I have resonated with in my darkest times. And I'm reading them now and I'm going, uh-oh, I like them a little bit less. So like, can we just talk about this? Yeah, I think uh, for those listening, you're about to just continue on this story from God's perspective and his God's radical commitment to telling human stories honestly. Mm. It's and when when that happens, it, it it doesn't look good for us as humans. It really doesn't and it doesn't look good for David and it's this continual messy contradiction. So we see the story Absalom's trying to take over the kingdom, right? He is and he's actually doing a pretty good job, honestly. He has gotten basically almost all of the army of Israel is now under his control. He is in Jerusalem. He's in DC, basically. (laughs) He's in the White House. Uh Yeah, he's got the Ark of the Covenant. So he's got religious power. He's taken over all the religious symbols and the meeting place of God. And so this is not looking good for David. No, I mean, everything would point to, yeah, he's definitely you're reading this. this and You're like, well, this is about to end because this is David's done. There's just no way that David can recover from this. And then God supernaturally hangs Absalom, gets caught in a branch. His hair. (laughs) It's the hair. His glory trips him up. His (laughs) glorious hair trips him up. And and I, I think that as we look at that context, it's so important because you see these two, as I read this, these two like seemingly contradictory truths that on this one hand, God has promised that the kingdom belongs to David and his lineage, right? He's going to bring about the Messiah, Jesus, through David. And it seems like God's plans are getting thwarted, but of course, God never gets thwarted, Mm -hmm. ever. And so God supernaturally steps in. And even though David is not stepping up and saying, no, I'm supposed to be king, God steps in and says, no, David's actually going to be king. Yeah, And, And that's just... That's how it is. It's God is sovereignly gracious, and it's grace because David doesn't deserve it. He does not deserve it. You look at this, and you're like, David! I mean, you can feel the feelings as people are listening to this. I mean, feel the feelings that these people are losing their life to protect David's kingdom. There's not many of them. They're losing their life to protect David's kingdom. And when they've gained the victory, David weeps. Yeah. Because his rebellious, murderous, treacherous, betraying son is dead. Okay. And so we were just saying, if these people read these Psalms that David wrote, these dear diary entries. That make David look like all he ever thinks about is God. Mm -hmm. The only thing he loves is God. 
He praises him all day long. At night, he lays in bed thinking, God, you're just so amazing. And then you look at David's life and you're yeah. like, David, get it together. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that's where it's amazing as you look at scripture. Both these things can be true at the exact same time. David can love God and his life can be a real hot mess. And you talk about God's um, sovereign grace coming in and rescuing David, yeah. but he didn't rescue him from everything. No. So he's rescuing like in the sense of preserving the kingdom because that's how it's been set up. But David has his own inner turmoil that is literally eating away at him. It is, yeah. And because we keep going back to this, you reap what you sow. You do. And yeah. so we look at the story of Absalom and you had said earlier, like there was never any actual consequence for Absalom, there was no, like mm -hmm. restoration actually didn't happen because Never. for restoration to happen, there's a lot of steps in the process, like yeah. uh, admitting like you made a mistake and then like um, restoring the trust between people, right? Yeah. And David, and he, he's not very good at facing difficult, crucial conversations. Do you think it's because he was a last born? I resonate <laughs> as a last born. It's like, no, we, we got away yeah. with a lot. We got allowance when our older siblings didn't. <laughs> so we don't know about the hard things. <laughs> I think David needed a whole army of therapists. Yeah. No. Okay. But for real, when we, when I read this, I'm like, he is layered in grief. He has had so many losses of sons. Yeah. Um, He's got a complicated inner life. Yeah. And I think he keep his responses keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger because it's like undealt with stuff. And it's yeah. growing into a mess. And so that's where this is, we feel this tension as you read scripture. God is sovereignly gracious and he's working and he's doing things. But at the same time, it does not exempt us from also reaping what we sow at times. And David is reaping what he sowed. Yeah. In all these little situations, God was so gracious, but he's also dealing for the with the consequences of his life. And David loves God and is a man after God's own heart. And I think that to me is maybe our human inclination is to make people into heroes and to make them perfect and to make them these just amazing people. And God really shows us that people who follow after him it's complicated and it's messy and he really works with us in the mess. Yeah. And that doesn't mean he rescues us from all our messes. No, but we see later throughout the Psalms, right, that like David acknowledges, you know, and even we heard it in the sermon this past week, like the way to move through that inner turmoil yeah. is to actually bring it to the light. Yeah. And you talked about that when you shared a message a couple of weeks ago on fear. Like the way to deal with it is bring it to the light. I think there's a common theme here. Yeah. Like let's bring stuff to the light. Yeah. And David's just packing it all in. I mean, yeah. that man has has Well, a, he writes it in his journal. He right. He didn't take the next step. <laughs> no, he didn't. Like like inner healing, David. So yes, personal application. <laughs> yes. And I I think it should give us one, it kind of makes us swallow that kind of like, oh, wow, life is so messy. Mm -hmm. And give us hope. God undoubtedly used David. Yeah. He undoubtedly said, David is a man after my heart. And not just used him, he loved him. He loved him and saw David's heart. He saw in the midst of all of it that David, he did love God. Yeah. And we can take comfort in that. Yeah. Honestly, for sure. And I think um, coming to grips with our own humanity, like I think we could, yeah. I mean, and, and, and I think people fall into all different places on the spectrum of like, 
being really hard on yourself every time you mess up or every time you have a thought that doesn't align exactly with God's heart, you know, like you can carry around a lot of shame in that. And that separates us from God. You can also live a life that's just like, well, I'm going to be forgiven. So what does it really matter? God's just probably so happy with me living my life and watching me do whatever I feel like. And that's, that's a separation of God too. Right. So like, I mean, you can fall anywhere on that spectrum, but for me, it makes me think, you know, sometimes when people disappoint me, no, all the time when people disappoint me, um, my response is a gasp. <gasps> I can't believe you would do that. And when I read these stories, I think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be so astonished at people's humanity. We should never be surprised at the brokenness of the world because we have scripture. Yeah. It lays it out. And it it should create in us a longing for a better David, mm. a better king. Yeah. And we do. We do. Jesus is the greater David. He is the greater Moses. All these people fail us at the end of the day. And we all know that. We can name people in our own lives that have failed us. And Jesus is the greater one who does not disappoint. It should cause us not just to be discouraged about the brokenness of the world, yeah, but it should create in us a longing that we need Jesus. Yeah, like keep returning to him because yeah. that is actually the only place. The one place. Yeah. We will not be disappointed. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's leave it with that. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. We will be back with you tomorrow. Second Samuel 17. Hushai told Zadok and Abathar, the priests, what Ahithophel had said to Absalom and the elders of Israel and what he himself had advised instead. Quick, he told them, find David and urge him not to stay at the shallows of the Jordan River tonight. He must go across at once into the wilderness beyond. Otherwise, he will die and his entire army with him. Jonathan and Ahimaaz had been staying at Enrogel so as not to be seen entering and leaving the city. Arrangements had been made for a servant girl to bring them the message that they were to take to King David. But a boy spotted them at Enrogel and he told them he told Absalom about it. So they quickly escaped to Bahurim, where a man hid them down inside a well in his courtyard. The man's wife put a cloth over the top of the well and scattered grain on it to dry in the sun, so no one suspected they were there. When Absalom's men arrived, they asked her, Have you seen Ahimaaz and Jonathan? The woman replied, They were here, but they crossed over the brook. Absalom's men looked for them without success and returned to Jerusalem. Then the two men crawled out of the well and hurried on to King David. Quick, they told him, cross the Jordan tonight. And they told him how Ahithophel had advised that he be captured and killed. So David and all the people with him went across the Jordan River during the night, and they were all on the outer banks before dawn. When Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, went to his hometown, set his affairs in order, and hanged himself. He died there and was buried in the family tomb. David soon arrived at Mahanam. By now, Absalom had mobilized the entire army of Israel and was leading his troops across the Jordan River. Absalom had appointed Amasa as commander of his army, replacing Joab, who had been commander under David. Amasa was Joab's cousin. His father was Jether, an Ishmaelite. His mother, Abigail, daughter of Nahash, was the sister of Joab's mother, Zariah. Absalom and the Israelite army set up camp in the land of Gilead. When David arrived at Mahanam, he was warmly greeted by Shobai, son of Nahash, who came from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and by Makir, son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and by Barzala of Gilead from Rogalim. They brought sleeping mats, cooking pots, serving bowls, wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans, lentils, honey, butter, sheep, goats, and cheese for David and those who were with him. For they said, you must all be very hungry and tired and thirsty after your long march through the wilderness. Psalm 3. 
O Lord, I have so many enemies, so many are against me, so many are saying God will never rescue him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of ten thousand enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him, while liars will be silenced. 2 Samuel 18 David now mustered the men who were with him and appointed generals and captains to lead them. He sent the troops out in three groups, placing one group under Joab, one under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zariah, and one under Ittai, the man from Gath. The king told his troops, I am going out with you. But his men objected strongly. You must not go, they urged. If we have to turn and run, and even if half of us die, it will make no difference to Absalom's troops. They will be looking only for you. You are worth 10,000 of us, and it is better that you stay here in the town and send help if we need it. If you think that's the best plan, I'll do it, the king answered. So he stood alongside the gate of the town as all the troops marched out in groups of hundreds and of thousands. And the king gave this command to Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. For my sake, deal gently with young Absalom. And all the troops heard the king give this order to his commanders. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim, and the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter that day, and 20,000 men laid down their lives. The battle raged all across the countryside, and more men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. One of David's men saw what had happened and told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. What? Joab demanded. You saw him there and didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with ten pieces of silver and a hero's belt. I would not kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver, the man replied to Joab. We all heard the king say to you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, please spare young Absalom. And if I had betrayed the king by killing his son, and the king would certainly find out who did it, you yourself would be the first to abandon me. Enough of this nonsense, Joab said. Then he took three daggers and plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled, still alive, in the great tree. Ten of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. Then Joab blew the ram's horn and his men returned from chasing the army of Israel. They threw Absalom's body into a deep pit in the forest and piled a great heap of stones over it, and all Israel fled to their homes. During his lifetime, Absalom had built a monument to himself in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to carry on my name. He named the monument after himself, and it is known as Absalom's monument to this day. Then Zadok's son Ahimaaz said, Let me run to the king with the good news that the Lord has rescued him from his enemies. No, Joab told him, it wouldn't be good news to the king that his son is dead. You can be my messenger another time, but not today. 
Then Joab said to a man from Ethiopia, Go tell the king what you have seen. The man bowed and ran off. But Ahimaaz continued to plead with Joab, Whatever happens, please let me go too. Why should you go, my son? Joab replied. There will be no reward for your news. Yes, but let me go anyway, he begged. Joab finally said, All right, go ahead. So Ahimaaz took the less demanding route by the way of the plain and ran to Mahanam ahead of the Ethiopian. While David was sitting between the inner and outer gates of the town, the watchman climbed to the roof of the gateway by the wall. As he looked, he saw a lone man running toward them. He shouted the news down to David, and the king replied, If he is alone, he has news. As the messenger came closer, the watchman saw another man running toward them. He shouted down, Here comes another one. The king replied, He also will have news. The first man runs like Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, the watchman said. He is a good man and comes with good news, the king replied. Then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, everything is all right. He bowed before the king with his face to the ground and said, praise to the Lord your God, who has handed over the rebels who dared to stand against my lord, the king. What about young Absalom, the king demanded? Is he all right? Ahimaaz replied, when Joab told me to come, there was a lot of commotion, but I didn't know what was happening. Wait here, the king told him. So Ahimaaz stepped aside. Then the man from Ethiopia arrived and said, I have good news for my lord, the king. Today, the Lord has rescued you from all those who rebelled against you. What about young Absalom? The king demanded, is he all right? And the Ethiopian replied, may all of your enemies, my lord, the king, both now and in the future, share the fate of that young man. The king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. As And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Word soon reached Joab that the king was weeping and mourning for Absalom. As all the people heard of the king's deep grief for his son, the joy of that day's victory was turned into deep sadness. They crept back into the town that day as though they were ashamed and had deserted in battle. The king covered his face with his hands and kept on crying. Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, We saved your life today and the lives of your sons, your daughters, and your wives and concubines. Yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that your commanders and troops mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would be pleased. Now go out there and congratulate your troops, for I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. Then you will be worse off than ever before. So the king went out and took his seat at the town gate, and as the news spread throughout the town that he was there, everyone went to him. Meanwhile, the Israelites who had supported Absalom fled to their homes, and throughout all the tribes of Israel, there was much discussion and argument going on. The people were saying, the king rescued us from our enemies and saved us from the Philistines, but Absalom chased him out of the country. Now Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, is dead. Why not ask David to come back and be our our king again? Then King David sent Zadok and Abathar, the priests, to say to the elders of Judah, why are you the last ones to welcome back? the king into his palace for i have heard that all israel is ready you are my relatives my own tribe my own flesh and blood so why are you the last ones to welcome back the king and david told them to tell amasa since you are my own flesh and blood like joab may god strike me and even kill me if i do not appoint you as commander of my army in in his place then amasa convinced all the men of judah and they responded unanimously they sent word to the king return to us and bring back all who are with you So the king started back to Jerusalem, and when he arrived at the Jordan River, the people of Judah came to Gilgal to meet him and escort him across the river. Shammai, son of Gera, the man of 
Baharam in Benjamin, hurried across with the men of Judah to welcome King David. A thousand other men from the tribe of Benjamin were with him, including Ziba, the chief servant of the house of Saul, and Ziba's 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed down to the Jordan to meet the king. They crossed the shallows of the Jordan to bring the king's household across the river, helping him in every way they could. As the king was about to cross the river, Shammai fell fell down before him. My lord, the king, please forgive me, he pleaded. Forget the terrible thing your servant did when you left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. I know how much I sinned. That is why I've come here today, the very first person in all Israel to greet my lord, the king. Then Abishai's son of Zariah said, Shammai should die, for he cursed the Lord's anointed king. Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zariah, David exclaimed. Why have you become my adversary today? This is not a day for execution, for today I am once again the king of Israel. Then, turning to Shammai, David vowed, your life will be spared. Now, Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, came down from Jerusalem to meet the king. He had not cared for his feet, trimmed his beard, or washed his clothes since the day the king left Jerusalem. Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? The king asked him. Mephibosheth replied, My lord the king, my servant Ziba deceived me. I told him, Saddle my donkey so I can go with the king, for as you know, I am crippled. Ziba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come. But I know that my lord the king is like an angel of God, so do what you think is best. All my relatives and I could expect only death from you, my lord, but instead you have honored me by allowing me to eat at your own table. What more can I ask? You've said enough, David replied. I've decided that you and Ziba will divide your land equally between you. Give him all of it, Mephibosheth said. I am content just to have you safely back again, my lord the king. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us even as we are reading through God's word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.